Hey guys, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers here at the Robertsdale Church of Christ. I just want to say thank you for checking out this message, and I'd like to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 1030 if you're ever in the Robertsdale area. If you want to find out more information about the Robertsdale Church, head over to our website at robertsdalechurch.com. All right, let's get to the message. I'm praying that God will use this message to bless you and will help you grow closer to Jesus Christ. Well, my parents lied to me. I mean, I know it wasn't on purpose, but they just told me some things growing up that just were simply not true. Kind of like if you crack your knuckles, it will lead to arthritis. That is not true. They told me one time I was chewing a piece of gum, and they said, hey, if you swallow the piece of gum you're chewing, it's going to stay in your stomach for seven years until your body digests it. Can you imagine if that was actually true, seven years, something being in your body? I was sitting close to the TV one time, and they come walking by. They said, you better back up, otherwise it's going to ruin your eyesight when you get older. That one's not true either. Uh, Probably my favorite, because I tell my kids this one all the time, Hey, after you get done eating, you've got to wait 30 minutes to get back in the swimming pool or you might catch a cramp and drown. And we all know it's just because as adults, we want to catch a little cat nap before we have to go chase the kids one more time. They even told me one time, you can be anything you want to be when you grow up. Let's be honest, folks. I'm five foot eight in a good pair of shoes. There are just certain things I cannot be because I am vertically challenged, right? Some things require height, and they just ruled me out with genetics from the get-go. But maybe the worst one of all was when they said, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. We just know that's not true, right? So remember there was this one time I really skint my knee up pretty bad. I fell off my bike, busted up my knee. It was bleeding pretty good. It had all kinds of dirt and rocks in the wound. And it was time they had to clean it out. And I knew that it had to be cleaned out, but I'm not very pain tolerant as an individual. And I was screaming, it hurts, it hurts. But I knew that it had to be cleaned out because when you have a wound, a lot of times the healing process is actually more painful than the wound itself. And that's true not only if you've skint your knee, That's also true if your heart has been broken and it needs to be mended. So today we're continuing this series called Believe where we're in the Gospel of John. And if you got your Bible, I'd love for you to flip with me to John chapter 4. The verses will not be on the screen today because our reading today is a little bit longer than usual because I want us to spend some time in the text and get the full idea of what Jesus is talking about. So if you've got it on your phone or if you've got a copy of God's Word, I'd love for you to turn with me to John chapter 4. What we're going to find today is we're going to find a woman that has a very real wound and she needs healing. And what Jesus does is what any good parent does. In order to help her heal that wound, he's going to press into it and it's going to be painful. So in John chapter 4, starting in verse 5, it said that Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now that, that's noontime, okay? It's 12 o'clock noon. It's lunchtime. And this woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone into the to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, are asking a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then John gives us a little commentary. He says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Let's talk about why. So Samaritans are a group of people that trace their roots back to the 10 northern tribes of Israel. If you remember your Bible history, you had the period of the United Kingdom under King Saul, King David, King Solomon. And then after that, the kingdom splits. And you have the 10 northern tribes that build a new temple in a different place. And they became known 
as Israel. And then you have the two southern tribes that kept the temple in Jerusalem, and they became known as Judah. And it gets real confusing when you read through the Old Testament and you get into the prophets, and they talk about Israel. Is it talking about all of Israel or just the ten northern tribes of Israel? Well, the ten northern tribes that are known as Israel get caught up in a lot of idolatry, and God decides to judge them. And so he sends the Assyrians around 721 B.C. or so, and they invade the area, and they take those Israelites captive, and they take many of them away, and some they leave behind, and many of them are intermarried with the Assyrians. And the group of people that is left become known as the Samaritans. And there's a lot of hostility between Jews and Samaritans. In fact, if you read through the book of Nehemiah, you find one of the Samaritans is opposing Nehemiah and the other Jews who are trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And there's this big debate in their religions between does God want the temple to be on Mount Gerizim or does God want the temple to be on Mount Jerusalem? And there's a, a lot of fighting that's going on. And you've got Jews who are looking at Samaritans with a lot of distaste because they feel like they're corrupt. They feel like they're a half-breed. If you're a Harry Potter fan, they viewed the Samaritans as mudbloods. And so there's a lot of fighting that's going on between these two groups. In fact, there's so much hatred that if a Jew were to travel, rather than go through Samaria, they would go around Samaria, which would take twice as long and twice as many miles. And they weren't paying $3.40 at the pump. They were walking, which would have been even more taxing on the body. And so when John says Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, that's his really nice way of saying what we're reading is shocking. And then it says Jesus said to her. That, that's really interesting because Jesus is a single Jewish man who is speaking to what he perceives or what he knows, but we perceive as a single Samaritan woman. Jewish men did not speak to unmarried women during this culture and definitely Jewish rabbis, which Jesus was recognized as because Last week in chapter 3, Nicodemus refers to Jesus as a rabbi. A rabbi does not speak to a woman that he's not married to. So what Jesus is doing, he's breaking down a lot of barriers here. He's breaking down a lot of racial barriers. He's breaking down gender barriers. He's breaking down social status barriers. That's why this story is so important for you and I today and everything that we're dealing with in our current culture. And so then Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying to you in verse 10, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you've got nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. How are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? You can almost picture Jesus just kind of smirk like uh, I created Jacob, but yeah, we'll go with that. He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Now, there's a little bit of confusion from this woman, and we saw this in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, because Jesus uses a word that's got multiple translations. The word that Jesus uses to refer to the water, translations say living water, that word could very well be translated flowing or moving. It just means a body of water that has some type of current. Now, they're standing at a well. This well has no currents. So it was not considered living water. You're going to take a bucket, you're going to lower it down, or you're going to walk down into the well, and you're going to get water out of the well, and then you're going to take it back to wherever you were from. Well, living water would be like a creek or a stream or a river. And this lady knows the terrain. She's grown up here. She knows there's no other source of water that would ever be considered flowing or moving water in the area, which is why she says, where are you going to get this living water from? She doesn't understand what Jesus is communicating to her. Also, there's something that we don't always pick up in this culture in 2022 because we live in the West, we live in the modern society. And if you walk into the bathrooms here, if you go home and you walk to your kitchen and you turn on the faucet, what happens? Water comes out. 
And we don't get on our knees and thank God saying, oh, this is such a gift from you. It'd be a good thing if we did, but we don't. We just fill up our cup or wash the dishes or whatever, pay the bill when it comes in, and we don't, we don't really think about how much of a gift water actually is. Well, if we lived in the desert, it would absolutely be a gift because what makes a desert a desert? A lack of water. It's why she's had to walk miles to find water. And they knew then, something that we would do well to remember, that water represents life. If you don't have enough water, you could very well die. If you've ever had any kind of severe dehydration, you know how serious it is when you don't have enough water. They also knew that God was the giver of life, and so they made the connection, God is the giver of life, water is a gift, therefore God is the giver of this gift called water because water represents life. Do you realize what Jesus is saying? He said, don't you recognize the gift of God? Yeah, she knows water is a gift from God, but Jesus is using this symbol of water to teach her something so much deeper. And she just kind of pushes back on him, like, you think you're greater than Jacob who dug this well? And so Jesus is going to press in. He said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, in verse 13, will be thirsty again, but everybody who drinks of the water that I give to him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in him this spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, well, sir, give me this water so I won't have to walk all the way out here and be thirsty and I won't have to come here to draw water. And we could insert there by herself because she's come at noontime to draw water, which was a responsibility of the women in the city. But most times they would go early in the morning or late in the evening when it wasn't so hot. Nobody went to draw water at noon unless you wanted to be alone or unless nobody else wanted to be with you. We're going to find out in just a second why. But what Jesus is trying to get her to understand is he's making a connection between water and the gift of life. Now, what John is going to do in chapter 7 when we get there is he's going to connect this gift of living water to the Holy Spirit. And what John wants us to do is he wants us to tie these two teachings together, that the gift of living water is the gift of God's Holy Spirit that he has blessed us with. And this is a theme that John introduced in chapter 3 in Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. When he has that conversation with Nicodemus about, hey, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you're going to have to be born again through water and the Spirit. And they weren't really shocked by that concept that the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit was involved in giving life because you meet the Holy Spirit on page one of your Bible in Genesis 1 and verse 2 where the Spirit is hovering over the face of the waters and then God begins the act of creation. And then in chapter 2, he forms the man out of the dust and he breathes or he spirits into him the breath of life. And so the Holy Spirit was involved in the creation of mankind and giving life to mankind. And then you've got these chapters in Ezekiel toward the end, like 36 and 37, where Ezekiel's taken into this valley and there's nothing but dry bones. And God says, Ezekiel prophesy to these bones and speak life into them. And Ezekiel speaks and all of a sudden the spirit of God moves and brings these dry bones back to life. For the ancient Israelite, the concept of the spirit giving life was not new. But what Jesus was connecting, what was new, was the concept, was the concept of God's spirit dwelling within us. And he's on this same theme of the old is gone, the new has come. When the Spirit of God comes into your life, there is new life. And Jesus says that within each of us, within this woman, there can become this spring of water welling up to eternal life. Have you ever thought about the difference of a drain and a fountain? A drain is something that dries everything up. It just sucks the life and water out of everything and runs it down. But a fountain is something that gives life. 
And you could take people and you could describe people as drains and fountains. In fact, what I'd encourage you to do is think about later today, really do some introspection. Am I a drain or am I a fountain? Because a drain is a person that just sucks up all the life around them. Everything that's got to revolve around them. Every conversation, every story has got to come back to them. Their needs, their wants, their desires, it's all about them. They walk into the room and they suck the life out of the room. That's a drain, but a fountain is a person that gives life, that pours into the lives of other people. And what Jesus is telling this woman, what she's understanding is, I won't have to come here and draw water out of the well. What Jesus is saying to her is there can be this well that God puts within you that pours life into other people. And this is a foreign concept for her because of what we're about to see of all the hurt in her life, how she's needed people to pour into her. But yet God is saying to her and God is saying to you and I that when the spirit of Christ comes into us, it flows out into other people. And as you go to work, as you go to school, as you go to the store, as you spend time with your family, you become this source of water, this source of life that pours into them as God's spirit is working in you and through you to bless other people. And now Jesus is really going to get to her wound and really press in. And it seems like he's changing the subject, but I promise you he's not. In verse 16, he said, go call your husband and come back. Is that not kind of weird based on the conversation? We're talking about wells and water, and now he wants her to go find her husband and come back. And she just answered, I don't have a husband. Really short. She's given long answers up until this point. That one was really short. Jesus just presses in. He says, you know, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the one that you're with is not your husband. What you have said is true. And she said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Yeah, no joke. He just read your diary. He went through all your text messages. He's seen every Facebook post you've ever had. He read your email. He's gone through everything you've ever imagined. He knows exactly what's going on in her life. The least he is, is a prophet, right? Can you imagine if Jesus just read your deepest, darkest thoughts? Well, guess what? He can. He knows exactly what's going on in her life. Now, let me, just, let me just say this, okay? I, I want to get to our point this morning. We all have a wound. This woman has a very deep wound, and Jesus is just pressing into it. Now, I've heard a lot of lessons on John 4 growing up, and in me- most of those lessons, I've heard whoever was teaching really kind of vilified this woman because of her relationship status. Here's a woman who's been married and divorced five times. And now she's living with a man that she's not married to. What I want you to understand this this morning is that this woman had no right to divorce a man. The law of God, the Torah that she followed and that Jesus followed, did not give her the right to divorce a man. The fact that she has been divorced five times is because there have been five different men in her life who have rejected her, and she had no say over the matter. She didn't go to the law office. She didn't go to an attorney and file for divorce. Five different men sent her away and rejected her. What what Jesus is dealing with is a woman who has been victimized by the culture and by the society that she lives in. And you may be wondering, well, why in the world, after being rejected that many times, would she continue to find another man? Again, you have to understand the culture that she lives in. She does not have the ability, like women do in our society, to get a job and to become very successful financially. She does not have that ability. In fact, the life of a single woman in this culture was basically a death sentence. If you were a widow, 
Or if you've been divorced, you have no way of providing for yourself. If you want uh, another example of this in the scriptures, read the book of Ruth. And you'll see why uh, it's such a beautiful story of what Boaz does in, in redeeming this young, beautiful woman that God uses in a very miraculous way to provide for these two women who just faithfully serve God because they had no other way to provide for themselves. And so the reason she goes from one man to the next is because it's just merely a matter of survival. And do you think she walks into marriage number four, number five, with high expectations? Probably not. She probably assumes they're all going to end just like the others others have because she's been treated as property and she's been thrown away as just a piece of junk set out by the road for somebody else to have. And now the fellow that she's living with will not even commit to her in the act of marriage and he's content to just allow her to live in his house. Do you see now the wound that she has? And as Jesus is going to press in, we all have a wound. We all have something in our life that we try to hide from other people. And wounds are all different, right? Wounds look different. There's different severities of them. We all have something that has happened in our life. Maybe it's a sin that we've been battling. Maybe it's something that somebody spoke over you when you were a child or an adult. Maybe it's, it's some hurt that's happened in your life. Maybe it's a current struggle that you find yourself in. There's all, all of us have something in our life that we try to keep everybody away because we know that pressing into it hurts even more. I remember when my girls were a little bit younger, one of them, I won't tell you who because I don't want to embarrass her, was had a splinter in her finger. And when Kinley, I mean, uh, I wasn't going to tell you who, when, uh, when it was time to deal with the splinter, and I can't say anything because I'm exactly the same way. I don't, she has the same pain tolerance level that I do, which is absolutely none. We needed to deal with it. And Haley said, let me look at it. And I knew exactly what that meant, okay? I knew looking at it didn't mean look at it. So she walks up and she holds out her finger and Haley grabs hold to her arm, pulls her in. I jumped on top, I pinned her down and Haley's working that out and she's screaming as loud as she can. We finally got the splinter out and thankfully nobody called the cops. We wondered what the neighbors were thinking was going on inside of our house because of all the commotion and it hurt. And getting the splinter out hurt worse than the actual splinter. But isn't that the way it goes with wounds? In order to find healing, the actual healing process is more painful than the wound itself. And the only way that God can deal with our wounds is if we allow him to press in. But we're all really good at hiding our wounds from God. At least we think we are. And we're definitely really good at hiding our wounds from each other. And we try to defend them. Act like it's, it's a common thing. Everybody's got one. It's not a big deal. Or we deflect. We try to change the subject. Or when the heat's turned on, we resort to some type of fight or flight to get the attention off of us. And you want to know something that we do on a regular basis? And I never put this together till John chapter 4. Whenever the heat is turned on, do you want to know one of the ways we deflect the most? Through arguing over doctrine. Rather than have to deal with our insecurities and our wounds, We just start arguing over different beliefs. If you don't believe it, look in John chapter 4. Jesus presses into her her wound and look at what she says. She says, you know, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem's the mountain we ought to worship on. You see what she's doing? She's deflecting. She's changing the subject. She no no longer wants the spotlight to be on her and her relational wounds that she's been dealing with. And so she turns it into an argument over doctrine. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming. Neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem are you going to worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know because salvation begins with the Jews. 
The hour is coming, and it's now here when the true worshipers are going to worship the Father in spirit and truth, and the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. She said, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. And, you know, when he comes, he's going he's to reveal all these things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. What I want you to understand is that Jesus really presses into her wound because he needs to. And every time she pushes back, every time she deflects, every time she fights back, he just steps in with more grace and more compassion. It's this beautiful reminder that Jesus came to heal the wounded. And we run as far as we can and we try to hide. He just keeps pursuing. And we push him away and he just steps in further. He doesn't press until we allow him to, but he wants to step into our wound to bring healing. For some reason, we've created this concept that Christianity is really clean That if you want to be a follower of Christ, you've got to be this person who has it all together. And this perception has been created because you see it all the time. You hear it all the time. People say, oh, I I can't go to church. I'm, I'm too messed up. And we've created this idea that when we walk into this place, we've all got to have it all together. And we put on our nice clothes. We fix our hair. And we, we, look, we look put together. And we walk in and somebody says, how you doing? I'm great. I'm blessed. God is good. I am just really, man, if I were any better, I'd be twins. Nobody could stand me. But inside, my heart could be in turmoil. Life could be falling apart. Could be doing a lot of chaos at work, a lot of friendship problems. Could be dealing with relationship problems with a, sta- with a spouse or with a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Could be dealing with some hardship that a, a friendship is causing me or somebody that stabbed me in the back. Or could be dealing with some doubt. I could be battling some personal sin. But when I walk into the room, I put on a smile and I act like everything's okay. Can we just be honest this morning? Can we be honest? Can I be real with you? You're a mess. You are an absolute mess. But that's okay. I am too. And if you don't think that I'm a mess, I need to get off of this stage. I don't like stages because I don't like to be elevated. I don't want anybody to think that I am above anybody else. I am just a mess as anybody else, and we are all sinners in need of the grace of God. We all are on the process of being sanctified. But for whatever reason, we have created this vibe, and I'm not saying it's necessarily true in all circumstances here, just in church across the board. And I think there are times where we can struggle with it here as well, that we've created this perception that you've got to have it all together to belong. And that is so not true. Jesus came to heal the wounded. He is not surprised that you are a mess. He knew exactly what he was doing when he stepped out of heaven and stepped into the mud of this world. There's a beautiful passage in Psalm 103 that says, He remembers how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. We're messy. We are dirty, broken people. And Jesus just keeps pursuing and stepping in. And so my challenge for us this morning is to remember that the church is called to be a hospital who is here for broken and wounded people. This should not be the place that you feel like you have it all together. This should be the place you feel like you can let it all fall apart, and it's okay. Because all of us are juggling something. We're trying to keep it all together, and all it takes is one little disruption, and our lives fall apart. And then we try to clean it up quickly before company arrives or before we walk into church, because I don't want anybody to know that I'm a mess. It's okay. We're all broken, wounded people. We all have a wound. And what Jesus wants to do is he wants to step in to provide healing.
But here's the painful truth, maybe more painful than me just telling you that you're a mess. It's this. It's through the streams of living water that God's grace flows. That's where the healing truly comes from. That's what Jesus is communicating to this woman. This this concept of living water, this life that's been infused with God's eternal love that, that is seen when the Holy Spirit comes into the life of an individual that provides healing and grace and freedom, it only comes, or excuse me, it comes into our life and it comes right through the wound as Jesus steps in and presses into our wound. It's why Jesus with this woman brings up her relationship struggles. It's not because he's offering any kind of condemnation. He never does that. In fact, if we could have been there we would have seen and heard the grace and compassion that flows out of his voice as he says I know that you're not married and I know that you've been married and divorced five times and I know that you're living with somebody that's not your husband I know why that is the case and he's stepping in and he's offering this eternal love and life that can flow through this wound but if you hide it if you deflect it if you defend it if you try to keep Jesus from pressing in, then it's like you're building this dam that is keeping those waters of eternal love from flowing into your life, and they can only flow up up until a certain point, and you will constantly try to hide and keep things from God. And Jesus is calling us just to lay it all before him. Say, this is my wound, and I know it's going to hurt. Man, it's going to hurt. And it might take a while. But Jesus, you got to press in here. you got to work And I'll grit my teeth, I'll scream through the pain, I'll pray through it all, step in and heal this place in my life. Here's the thing, that is true of a person who's never become a follower of Jesus and is thinking about it, and that's true of some of us who have been following Christ for 15, 20, 30, 50 years, or some in this room, some of us have never broken down that wall to allow the waters of eternal and living freedom to flow through our entire life. This is the invitation of Jesus. And if you think, no, I'm too broken, I'm too messed up, I've gone too far, there's no way Jesus could forgive me, there's no way he could heal this wound. Can I just point something out in the text? It's at the very end of what we read. It's in verse 26. She said, you know, I know that when the Messiah gets here, he's going to reveal all things to us. How Jesus answered is kind of hidden in translation. It's translated in the ESV, I who speak to you am he. What he actually said was, I am. That's the same phrase, if you were here Wednesday night, that Ben Brooks talked about a little bit in his class. It's the same phrase that Jesus used, or excuse me, that God used in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses is standing before God. And God has called Moses to deliver Israel out of Egypt. And he told Moses, you go and you tell them that God has come to deliver you. And Moses says, well, which one? What am I going to tell them your name is? And God said, you tell them my name is I am. I am. What Jesus reveals to this woman is the phrase that got him hung on a cross. He was accused of blasphemy because he repeated this phrase over and over again. I am. He's connecting himself with the same God who walked Israel out of Egypt, the same God who created the entire world. It's the same God who John would open up his gospel by saying he is God and he is with 
God. Jesus is the great I am. And if you ever thought, if you've ever thought, there's no way God could forgive me, not after what I've done, let me just remind you that the very first time in the gospel that Jesus, that Jesus reveals his identity as the Messiah is to a woman who has been married and divorced five times and is currently living with a man she is not married to. That's who Jesus reveals his identity as the Messiah explicitly for the very first time. It was by no accident that it was to this woman that he said, I am. And it's a reminder to you and I that he will allow the streams of living water to flow through our life, that his grace is a gift that is offered to each of us. It is not tied to our past, and it is not tied to our present. It is an offer for new life that can begin today. And it will happen through the wounds if you will allow him to allow those streams of living water to flow. And understand this, you can find new life today. You can experience new life in Jesus today by being baptized. But if you guard that part of your life where you've been wounded, his salvation in your life will be limited. Not because he can't, but because you won't allow him to. And so my challenge to each of us, follower of Jesus or not, is to stand before him and to tear down that wall and to allow him all the way into our life. So his offer of grace and salvation is for you today. So if you want to become a follower of Christ, We'd love to help you with that. If you've got a wound and you need somebody to talk to, our shepherds would love to talk with you. We have counselors here at this church. We are all in the, we are in the business of transformation and healing. This is a hospital that is for broken people. And so if you're broken and wounded this morning, you're in the right place, and we'd love for you to give your life to the great physician. If we can help you in any way, let us know as we stand and sing.